welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And it is my pleasure to welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, Danny Cannell, regular regular friend right here on the show as you can get him every single Wednesday morning. So make sure that you subscribe to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. That's how Danny gets delivered to your phone. Danny, C-L-E-M-S-O-N. You are still riding with the Clemson Tigers, huh? This is yeah, this has been the buzz. Am, uh, I'm still a believer. So a lot of people were upset at me because I put out my top eight, right. uh, which I like to do every week. And I... So people were a little bit confused because I had them at number two and people were like, well, how come you didn't drop them? First of all, I had them over Bama at one. So I did drop them a spot, put Bama at number one. So now I'm sure even you guys are bothered by, all right, why, how can Clemson possibly still be number two? So do you want my, my philosophy on this one? Absolutely. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. yourself. So Clemson to me, even with one loss, still has the best resume as far as who they have beaten better than anybody in the entire country. Maybe even better than Bama, but I wasn't willing to go that far. I didn't want to tick off the Tide fan base that far. But considering they have three wins over top five, uh, top 15 teams, Virginia Tech, Louisville, and Auburn, two of those coming on the road in Virginia Tech and Louisville, the Auburn win at home, and then comparing them to the other teams in there, for instance, Penn State, has not even played, not even played a top 25 team on their schedule to date. I think it's a pretty simple synopsis. Like, I think it's pretty obvious if you went by resumes alone. And then this is where I'll toss it back to you guys. So if you had to do it strictly on who do you think are the better teams, if you stack up Clemson against Penn State, Georgia, TCU, Wisconsin, Ohio State, who would you pick to win those games on a neutral site? Every single one of those, I would say fairly confidently, aside from maybe Georgia, that I would take Clemson to win those games. So for that reason, and I haven't even got into the fact that they didn't have their quarterback for the second half, but for that reason, I'm leaving Clemson at two. You guys, tear it apart. Go ahead. <laughs> Look, hey, all right. So I, I am not going to argue with the Penn State thing. I, I think Penn State, they, they've got to win a game against a meaningful team. I get it. I, I guess my bigger beef is maybe with Georgia and TCU, who both have won games against big-time opponents. Georgia's beaten at Notre Dame. They've beaten Mississippi State. TCU won at Oklahoma State. And at some point, don't Are you, you have to, to that? That's two wins and one wins. That ain't three quality wins. Well, so but then I mean, doesn't what you do on the field matter though? Like, doesn't doesn't is it just ultimately about Danny's eyeball test? Like, hey, who I think is better? Like they. Clemson lost to Syracuse. And George, yep. so it's just, we're not just counting up top 25 wins, are we? Agreed. No, we're not. We're not. But when the committee does this, so the 13-person committee, the selection committee, they're supposed to take into consideration. They're, supposed, they're, they're tasked with finding the four best teams, correct? Correct. So my Danny Cannell committee of one, I'm trying <laughs> to find the four best teams, right? And the committee also is supposed to take into consideration – key injuries or players that are out for the game. I think, now this is where you might have the biggest problem. I think if Kelly Bryant plays the entire second half, I think they win. Like I thought Zedric Cooper, Zarek Cooper did a good job coming into that game. 
But I think it was a drastically different offense than what they had with Kelly Bryant. I think if he plays, they win that game. They still only lost by a few. If he had played, I think they win that game. So for that reason, another one, I'm going with, all right, they probably would have won that game. Okay, I'm going to come at you from the flip side of that. Okay. I mean, Kelly Bryant, what if Kelly Bryant doesn't get well the rest of the year? Like, isn't that what Clemson is? Like a a team with a hobbled quarterback who is nowhere near the same threat he is when he's fully healthy. If that's Clemson the rest of the year, if Kelly Bryant doesn't ever get fully back healthy, if they got to play their backup uh, for a big chunk of the rest of the season, doesn't that um, change who we think Clemson is? Yeah, and it would change who I think they are, too. Like, I would drop them. If, if they're going with the backup and Kelly Bryant's not healthy, I would drop them, too. And I think, but I also feel like you would see that production on the field drop off significantly, too. And if that was the case, you know, if they struggle with Georgia Tech, they still have to go to NC State. They still have Florida State. Like, they've got a pretty tough stretch here the next three games they have. I think it's it's going to – we're going to find out how good they are. And if they look like they're struggling, this is where that eyeball test would come in. And I'd have to be honest with it and say, all right, they don't look like the same quality. So I do have to start knocking them down some spots, but on a, on a neutral field, would you guys agree with me that you would pick if Kelly Bryant was healthy, would you pick them to beat all those teams that I mentioned that are in that top seven, top eight category? Georgia. I would have some consternation with, I'm with you on TCU, Penn state. And I don't know about Ohio state. We talked about the fool's gold of Ohio state last week. I still need to see the Buckeyes, uh, play a quality opponent after going through this like five game run of hanging 50 points on the board. But I would pick, I would put Clemson over Wisconsin and you know, the, cause this is the, the time of year where this happens. We're, we're sitting here Wednesday morning, two weeks from now, we'll have the first college football playoff selection committee rankings. And I think all three years of the playoffs so far, the first rankings, I like almost always at least three of the spots are different from the final rankings. And it's because at this point in the season, there are teams that float up in the polls or, you know, in different rankings just from not having taken a loss. And that's where with Miami, I'm looking at the Hurricanes and I'm thinking, you know, Miami is a great story, and Mark Richt has something special going right there. But if Miami gets to the ACC championship game against Clemson, even if Clemson takes another loss, I feel like Clemson wins that game. Yeah, I'm with you. Miami, to me, is a fascinating storyline because I, I almost feel like they're becoming this team of destiny. Like It seems like it's their time to kind of come out, but that's strictly an emotional feeling. It's not based on what you're seeing on the field. Because they squeaked out of Florida State with the last, you know, incredible touchdown by Langham, you know, at the end of the game. They get lucky against Georgia Tech because Georgia Tech was moving the ball up and down. They get this torrential downpour. They make a few plays to come back to get the field goal late. So they squeak out of that one. But here's the difference. If that's three years ago, two or three years ago, Miami loses that game. So they're able to win it, stay atop the standing, stay in that relevant position. And then for me, more importantly, is the fact their remaining schedule, the tougher games they have, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, both at home, like that could be a difference for them. But as far as believing in them as a an ACC champion, like I think they'll beat Virginia Tech at home. I don't that it'll be a tight spread. Like I'll be really curious to see. It's probably a field goal line, I would assume. But Virginia Tech, I like what they're doing. But I think Miami could win that game. But against Clemson, I would take Clemson all day, even if Clemson does suffer another loss. But Miami, for me, will be a team I look at skeptically until they kind of run the whole gamut and do it all 
just because they haven't built up the trust that you have in teams that are consistently good, like at Clemson, like in Alabama, like in Ohio State. They just haven't done it yet, so they have to prove it more. So you're not a TCU believer then? Because TCU went, went to Oklahoma State and won decisively. They beat a West Virginia team that I think we can all agree is at least a good football team. Yep. They went to Manhattan and won by 20 points in a, in a tricky spot. I mean, when when you sort of just said uh, almost like in passing, like yeah, of I think Clemson would be these other teams. I, I don't know that I think that. I think I think TCU and and Georgia both would have a really good shot at beating Clemson after watching sort of the way they struggled running the football against Syracuse. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I don't think any of them are given. I mean, I think they'd all be tight, and it would be like, who would you pick? And I'd go with Clemson, but it wouldn't be in a blowout. I would give any of those teams a chance to beat them. With TCU, I don't – and again, it's sort of like a perception of the league, the Big 12. It's a perception of Kenny Hill, who actually has played really well. Like he's making better decisions with the football, but I'm almost waiting for him to implode and like have that critical costly interception that cost them a game. Um, you know, you talked about the win over Kansas State. I don't, and I know that and I know it wasn't as convincing because they had some weather issues. Like it was, you know, it was, it was some delays throughout the game. Like it was kind of hard for them to get going. Um, I don't. I and I, I just don't trust them. Whatever reason it is, when I see them on tape, the athletes don't jump out. Uh, like there's no Josh Dotson out there that I see that's a playmaker at wide receiver that I'm just blown away by. Um, so I just I just have to see it more. But you have to. One thing you have to rely on for them is that Gary Patterson's going to have a defense that is built to shut out, you know, uh, um, those Big 12 offenses like they did with Oklahoma State. And they held them in check, uh, you know, pretty significantly better than anybody else in that league did. And that's what it comes down to. You don't have to be a team that pitches shutouts or holds a team to six points like they did against Kansas State. You just have to be that team that can do enough, get you enough stops, create a turnover in the critical moment where you can shut down a West Virginia enough times, where you can do it against Oklahoma State enough times where you can get that just enough, just enough defense to get you to win a game. So I, I am watching TCU very closely now because they're starting to approach that territory where the more you start winning, the more you just have to start paying attention to them and ignore whatever preconceived bias you have about the Big 12 or Kenny Hill or any of those players that I mentioned. Where are you at with yeah. Notre Dame right now? I think they're, in fact, I'm doing a thing here uh, with CBS Sports Digital where they just did dark horse, you know, national playoff teams. And I said Notre Dame. Like, I think Notre Dame is completely flying under the radar. Um, you know, with, uh, with and Brandon Wimbush has been out, and yet they were able to go on the road with Ian Book, get a win from him. Um, Josh Adams, I think, is probably one of the most underrated backs in the country. When you look at his yards per carry, nobody's talking about him. And I don't, it's crazy. I think the loss to Georgia at home. Kind of, I think most people set up Notre Dame coming off a four and eight year. Now nah, they're just going to struggle again this year. But the win against Michigan State looks significantly better. Um, you know, they handled BC, which I think people look at BC and they're like, ah, no big deal. But they had to go to BC and they win that significantly. Like the other games, they're handling their business. And the loss to Georgia actually looks pretty good on their resume considering the way that Georgia has been playing. So I would look at them, and of course we'll find out more against them against USC, but they have that game at home. I'm sort of very leery of going with USC, so I kind of like Notre Dame in this spot. You know, their schedule remaining is 
doable. They have NC State at home. The Miami game is going to be crazy to watch. And then they go to Stanford. So if they went out, they're in. The question is, can they do that? They still have some strides to make. But nobody really is talking about Notre Dame, and I think they should be. It's uh, it's the, the kind of thing that's shaping up because so many of those games are against ranked opponents, but the flip side of that is they're huge spotlight games. And when yeah. you've got Notre Dame being classified as an independent, uh, that's where like Notre Dame could be the reason that the Big 12 or the Pac-12 doesn't get in the college football playoff because the, we, know, hey, we know the college football playoff selection committee loves a quality loss. They like body clocks, and they love quality loss. And it doesn't get more quality loss than a one-point, grinding, low-scoring early season game against Georgia. I'm just I'm curious to see, because you mentioned Josh Adams. Josh Adams has gotten this incredible knack this season where he springs a like, 150-yard touchdown a game. And you don't know yeah. when it's going to be, but that offensive line does such a good job of creating these seams in the field. And that's where I think that the, the USC game – if Notre Dame can get this, the ground game rolling against the Trojans, who, like, they're, yeah, they're a little bit banged up still, but that is high-quality, top-caliber athletes. If Notre Dame gets it rolling here, that's when you look down, like you mentioned, the rest of the schedule, and you're starting to think, like, okay, you know, good ground attack would be a great way for this Notre Dame team to all of a sudden make itself more of an issue. I kind of, I, in the back of my like, I, it's not that I'm a Notre Dame hater, but I hate the independent thing. I hate the, hey, we're better than everybody else. We have our own network and all that. I kind of hope they get screwed and got left out of the playoff, <laughs> the one-loss team. But simply, it won't happen. Because I wish they would sack up and just join the ACC legit, like not just do it this fake way they've got it with every other sport except for football. And I think it would be a tremendous advantage for them to have to be able to have the conference championship, to be a part of that. That's why I kind of hope their hand is forced. But bottom line, if they do run the table, they're in. Like, they're a lock. Yeah, the schedule is pretty loaded. Georgia, USC, NC State, Wake, Miami, Stanford. That's, I mean, it's not going to be an easy road. Um, I, I do want to ask you, before we get off of, of Clemson completely, mm-hmm. uh, Chip and I are big Dino Babers guys. Yeah, uh, we, we are. We are very we big are, Dino uh, Babers guys. Ever since his intro press conference, um, we've been on board. You, I saw somewhere you tweeted that uh, you must have been talking about it on Sirius. Dino Babers recruited you? Is that right? Yeah. So I actually, I'm bigger Dino Babers guy than you are because <laughs> we go way further back. So it, he was a he was a wide receiver coach at Purdue, right? And so I think you know you're probably like, why were you looking at Purdue? Because I mean, it wasn't exactly a, a powerhouse at the time. But my high school football coach was Mike Phipps. And Mike Phipps played quarterback Purdue. He was a runner-up in the Heisman Trophy, had a long, successful career in the NFL. Um, and so he was kind of like saying, hey, why don't you take a look at Purdue? And I was like, of course, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at it. So I went to West Lafayette, uh, went for a visit up there, and Dino Babers was assigned to the South region as the recruiter. And so I got to talk to him, and I was like, you know what? This guy's really impressive. Like, he stood out to me among all the other guys I was getting recruited by, I just liked his positivity, his energy, his vibe. Uh, you know, he just had a youthful enthusiasm about him, seemed to be, you know, like just a guy that I would like to play for. And so as I've always kind of, um, you know, grown through my career, I've always kind of kept an eye on him and seen him rising in the ranks. Then a few years ago, I covered a MAC championship game when he was at Bowling Green and, uh, and got to talk to him then and saw the job he did there. And when he got the opportunity with Syracuse, I was like, this is a really tough job, right? Like the Syracuse yeah. job is not an easy job in college yeah. football. 
And I was like, but his enthusiasm, the energy he brings, and the offense, because, I mean, Eric Dungy looked awesome. What they're trying to do going fast, that is a, a talent neutralizer because they're, they're not going to be able to go toe-to-toe with Florida State, Clemson, you know, some of the other teams in the ACC. So you have to do something to make up for that, and their offense does. Um, so I just felt like he had all these pieces of the puzzle in place and just been really happy for him. Like, he's, he's a great guy. He's a lot of fun to talk to. He's a great interview when you get him on the radio. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with you guys. I, I think if you're a Syracuse fan, you probably should be nervous. Oh, yeah. Get an opportunity somewhere else. Yeah, that's the, his. What that was the the spotlight win. Yeah. That was a, a last year too against Virginia Tech, but that wasn't Clemson at number two, right? You know, on a national stage when people are watching, can't believe what's happening. So that was huge for him. Yeah, he's uh, do you think, he's hot. Do you think they can carry it over this weekend? I mean, they got Miami. Um, I, I so again, so it kind of ties into both because I think Syracuse. I, I sent out the tweet after. I'm like, because I think people are like, oh, Syracuse is trash. How can how can Clemson uh, lose to that team? I think Syracuse is a team that's headed in the right direction. I think they've got a really good passer. Who you put it out? Who put it out that said that his his rating on um, pro, the football pro football focus? focus yeah, he's like second second in the country heading into that game. Yeah, so I mean, I think he's an underrated a, a passer. What they do. And again, like Miami having just come off Georgia Tech, you know, practicing for the the triple option, having to come bounce right back and prepare for that, like, good luck. Like, they better be ready to go. We know they're beat up because of the Florida State game, missing a ton of guys defensively for that. They're still banged up. And are are they going to be ready for that emotionally, physically, all those things? So I would put Miami on upset alert. Oh, boy. If Syracuse Syracuse (laughs) follows Miami – with, if he follows Clemson Gino with Miami. pointed this out to us when he was on our show because we had him on leading into the Clemson game. But their losses, Middle Tennessee, they only lost by a touchdown. It was late. LSU, now they came, they got behind, but they came roaring back late, kept it close. Um, NC State, another game. It was they weren't. They're not getting blown out, so they're kind of in every game. I'm telling you, it's a tough spot for Miami to be in. Hey, they were spread covering machines. There yeah. for a hot minute, except for the except for uh, when they were a three and a half point favorite against Pittsburgh, had the ball fourth down in scoring position and went yeah. for it instead of kicking the field goal in the cover. <laughs> right, exactly. That one killed me. Yeah, that was not fun. Um, all right, well, you just mentioned LSU. Do you consider LSU a different team just because uh, it has gone to beat Florida and Auburn in back to back weeks? I think you have to, right? It's kind of one of those ones that's really perplexing. Like, how do you lose to Troy? How do you let Syracuse hang around the way they did? And how do you get blown out against Mississippi State and then turn it around? The Florida win, to me, is kind of two middle-of-the-road SEC teams, you know, going at it. And that's what I see with LSU and Florida. The Auburn win was devastating for me personally because I thought Auburn. I was buying into Auburn. I had picked them to win the SEC and so I was like, after the first half, well, not, let me correct that. After the first quarter and a half, I was thinking, man, Auburn looks the part. Here we go. Stidham's going. Carry on Johnson. I sent out a tweet. I'm like, welcome to the Heisman race. I was gloating. I'm thinking Auburn's going <laughs> to blow them out. And then the critical drive for me in that game was right before half when Danny Etling took him down the field, got the touchdown to cut the lead to nine, going into halftime, took that momentum. But when I look at that game – no doubt LSU deserves credit because their defense, you know, completely shut down Auburn. 
But when you look at some of the statistics that were out there for Auburn offensively, they shut it down. And I was sitting there yelling at the TV screen, like, do something. All they kept doing was running the football. They had seven consecutive runs at one time. I think it was up to 16 first downs consecutive that they ran a first down, uh, ran it on first down. I'm sitting there going, how can nobody be alerting this to Gus Malzahn and Chip Lindsey? Like, how come there's no, you know, GA that's charting play saying, hey, guys, uh, we might want to mix this up. We might want to try to throw the ball a little bit more and not just take shots, but try to, you know, call a first down play action where if it's not there, hit the check down and get in the second six, second seven. It was very frustrating for me to watch. And then now it makes you, you know, not only appreciate LSU and say, all right, defensively, it looked to be back. You know, Gus, they, you know, Ed Ogeron has some momentum building. Finally, we're seeing some of the talent come to the forefront, some young talent grow up. But for me, it was more about Auburn. Like, what happened to you guys completely dominating that game? And what impact does it have moving forward for Auburn in the, in the you know, last five games of the season? As you look at Auburn, when you when you watch a game like that play out like that from a quarterback's um, perspective, like to me that offense is just so herky jerky. Like it's just they're either running the football or they're taking shots. Like there's yeah. no like just sort of <clears throat> rhythm throws from the quarterback position. What, what, like what do you see? Like what? Uh, am, are you seeing what I'm seeing in terms yeah, of just? Totally. A, you know, I, I feel like and I thought I actually thought Gary Danielson did a fantastic job of highlighting that throughout the game. And he even like it's a, it's funny because I'm and I'm sure you guys do the same thing when I'm watching a game. I'm thinking certain things. And sometimes you'll hear the broadcaster, the analyst say the same things because I could clearly see Jared Stidham, who's dropping dimes, beautiful post batters, you know, beautiful throws in the first half all of a sudden is looking like nothing's there. In a large part, there wasn't. Like, LSU was doing a better job. So some of those home run plays that weren't there, um, and I'm, I'm glad you hit on that, that that's what Gus Malzahn likes to do, because when Cam Newton gets in that single read type of situation where it's a play action, and if the post route's there, hit it, and if not, you know, I don't even know. It's hard to figure out what their second read is. But right. Cam Newton would save them because he'd tuck it and run it for 10 yards, maybe in 50 yards sometimes, Jared Stidham tucks it, looks lost, gets hit, and it you know loses a yard or two. Can't even get back to the line of scrimmage, and I'm getting very frustrated, saying, "Gosh, this is really tough to play quarterback in this spot." And even some of their some of their short passing game was really like slip screens, bubble screens, where there's not much innovation to it. It's so simplistic, where it's it's just all right, hit this pass, and it doesn't look like there's another option if it's not there. And sometimes when you run those bubble screens and slip screens, they're covered, and you kind of you you're stuck with the ball in your hands. And I thought that happened to Sidham, where he's like, "Well, I'm supposed to throw this, so I'm going to try to cram it in there," and it either gets the receiver blown up or you almost throw an interception because it's crowded. Where was the the kind of simple? Let's just run a curl flat combination, and you know, with a flare. And just give him a read where he can develop some confidence. Just a five-yard hitch route on the outside, yeah. like just some- run like mesh or run smash yeah. or just like yeah, it's it's, every, it's almost like everything's like schemed to get open one receiver rather right. than just let a quarterback go through his progressions. Right, which is very frustrating and it's very tough to play because a lot of times on those those hit plays where if they're not hitting, you're getting sacked, you're getting hit, you know, it's, it's and it's affecting your confidence because. I mean, quarterback is a mental position. You gotta, you gotta believe. You gotta believe the protection is gonna be there. You have to believe that there's gonna guy that's gonna get open. And once those things start falling apart, it can snowball. 
And that's what happened. Like Stidham looked ugly. He looked awful. But I don't put it on his shoulders. I do put it on the play calling. Mm. Uh, another quarterback. We got We got to do like sort of the status check because Ohio State continues to just steamroll people. JT Barrett is like putting up the, the most efficient quarterback numbers in college football right now. But as we talked about last week, like this this pod trio right now is not fully on board. Did anything change this week with your JT Barrett impression based on Nebraska? Like well, I was, Nebraska, I was Nebraska saying, not Maryland. Playing, right? like, I, was gonna say, I knew you guys did, but I was just making sure you knew the schedule, who it was. Right. Uh, no, like nothing has changed for me. Because I, <laughs> this is exactly what you've seen JT Barrett be throughout his career. And that's why he's statistically the best, you know, quarterback in the in the Big Ten history now. Like you've seen him throw a lot of touchdowns, score a lot of touchdowns, but in large part it's because Ohio State is that much better than everybody they play against, except for a handful of games. And in those games, whether it was in the national championship run when he's not on the field and it's Cardell Jones making those those throws, or it's last year late in some games that they won. But he was very average, very pedestrian in late game situations last year when it was, um, who was it, Michigan State, when they're squeaking by that game, um, you know, when he's throwing for 86 yards, when it's Michigan at the end, when, you know, he's only throwing for 124 yards. Now he's rushing the football in those games, but you have to eventually be able to pass the football. That's why they got completely shut up by Clemson. They took away his run game, and then he's throwing for two interceptions, costing you a game, you put up zero points. Much like you did against Oklahoma this year, it was it was a little sloppy. It was there was no consistency there. Um, I still need to see him do it against more, better quality opponents. I think the next time they see the field against Penn State will be one of those moments where he's going to have to step up. And I, I still think they're going to win the Big Ten. Like I think he'll be able to do enough to win. But how does he do if they get back to the playoff and then and against a team like Alabama? Against it, and who knows who the heck the other teams are going to be now? Is it Clemson? Like, how is he going to perform against those quality of defenses? That's what I need to see from JT Barrett. And I don't think that should be a knock because I still think he's he's a really good, borderline great college quarterback. But is he able to take them to the national championship? Like that's and that's how you should be judged at Ohio State. Like that's their expectation, and I still have that's very much in doubt for me with JT Barrett. What about? Um... From, from one Texas quarterback, as in Texas-born JT Barrett, what about Texas's Sam Ellinger? Because the Longhorns are coming off a strong performance in what I thought was one of the most fun games of the weekend in Oklahoma, Texas. And then Texas comes back, and they host Oklahoma State. Are you putting the Cowboys on upset alert uh, with the early kickoff in Austin? Um, No. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not like- buying Ellinger? No, I, I love Ellinger. Like, I, I, I think he's been great. But I feel – I so, again, this maybe is me being stubborn. I picked Oklahoma State to win the Big 12, so I'm not jumping off that just yet. Um, but Texas is stretched. Like, I think that's one of those games where Texas emotionally – like, shoot, I mean, look at the hit that Sam Ellinger took and stayed in the game, was able to come back from that. But that was this rivalry game where they come up short – I feel like Oklahoma State having that loss to TCU was sort of a wake-up call for them where they have to be, all right, here we go. Let's make sure we take care of our business. They've been doing that. They had the win against Texas Tech. They manhandled Baylor, which is something Oklahoma didn't do and most people are doing. So I feel like I feel comfortable with Oklahoma State 
against a Texas defense, which I think you saw, and of course, the one touchdown that Baker Mayfield did to the big tight end, I forget his name. Mark Andrews. Where they got him wide open down the sideline. I think Oklahoma State's going to expose Texas, which is playing much better defense. I feel like they'll be be able to exploit um, Texas's defense and put up some points. And I don't think, as much as I like Sam Ellinger and think he's the better choice at quarterback for Texas uh, over Shane Bouchel, I don't think that they get beat this weekend by Oklahoma State. That's your boy, Barton. Sam Ellinger is going to lead the Longhorns to a victory. I'm calling it on the field. Concussed? Did you guys think he was concussed? Oh, I didn't think so. Did you? I didn't. I mean, I. I I don't know that I necessarily examined it or noticed it enough to you thought there he was so there were actually the reason I asked when I was doing radio this week we had a caller who was hot said you know they should have taken him out the game it's player safety I went back and watched it again and I it, he definitely was shaken up like there's no doubt about it uh, and the camera angle that they had over him was pretty fascinating because you kind of almost see his eyes. I thought to me it was one of two things. It was either a concussion or it was one of those hits where you get hit and you're just the wind is knocked out of you and you can hardly breathe. Like it's it's exasperation. You can't do anything. And like I, I felt like he came out of the game. They were able to examine him. He clearly answered the questions. Went back in the game. Was performing. But the one thing that our caller noted was on the fourth down play. Like it looked like he didn't know the situation. And was that an impact of the hit that he had? Was it his head issues? Or was it just, you know, hey, maybe you saw the flag and just threw it away? I don't know. I, but I love this competitive nature, and I think he's the quarterback, and there's no looking back for Tom Herman. Yeah, the, the what you, what'd you call him, Barton? He has a chance to be like a great Texas iconic. quarterback. Iconic. He'll be, a, he'll, be a, yeah. he'll be an iconic quarterback of Texas. I like that call. I think that's accurate, too. I think he can be, especially the way he plays and the way he fits perfectly with Herman's system. Like, he's going to have 100-yard rushing games like we've already seen. And then he's also has the, the the arm to make all the throws, and he's tough. Like he's he's Texas, right? I mean, he just kind of feels like it. He probably wears a cowboy hat after the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. Like, and he's and he's from like he's from Lake Travis. Yeah, Lake Travis from uh, Austin Westlake. Uh, yeah. you know, he's two hundred thirty pounds. He's already you know, Vince Young. I think never had a three hundred yard passing, hundred yard rushing game, and Sam Ellinger's already got one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm on board with that. Um, but I, and I guess with you know, with that game, I am in agreement that it's going to be a tough spot for Texas um, to, to follow up against Oklahoma State. Um, do you think that this is a team in Texas, though, that can like like Chip and I were talking eight and four, like so they may go seven and five and, and still be a team we really like, still be a team that took a big steps forward, still be a team that like we feel great about. Um, can they get to like an eight and four or a, I guess nine and three would mean they have to win out, but right. So they're at three and three. Now I think they lose to Oklahoma State, so That's one loss, but I think they beat Baylor. I think they beat Kansas. Ooh, I think they can beat Texas tech. So there's your three wins. And then they kind of have to pull off an upset in one of these spots against TCU, Oklahoma state or West Virginia. You know, maybe they're physical enough where they can get to West Virginia, but it's on the road. Like, that presents some challenges. Um, Texas Tech, can they can they control the time of possession, run on Texas Tech, you know, do enough where they can slow down that offensive attack? So, I, man, I think seven and seven and five is probably a, a more realistic look for the Texas Longhorns. Yeah, I would love yeah. I would love to see it from Tom Herman. I would love to see them get things back to where they are, and I feel like they're close. And who, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be, I think eight and four, nine and three, no way. 
Eight and four would be a huge win for Tom Herman. Get on board with the Big Twelve, Danny. It's the <laughs> it's it, it's the real deal this year. ACC oh, and Big boy, Twelve. Here we go. Here we go. Depth. I like it. <laughs> Before we get we before we get you out of here, Danny, what's your lock of the week? What are you looking at that you you feel really good about? My lock of the week for the weekend, jeez, I put Miami on eps, upset alert. I, it's a good thing you didn't ask me this last week. Um, I'll go. Who, who would you have had last week? Can I go with Butch Jones is no longer the Tennessee head coach after the weekend? Is that enough of a lock? I, I think oh, that's man. that's way too obvious though. That's that's Captain Obvious territory, right? I, I think he's. I think Butch Jones could survive the year. I think he coaches it out. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. You guys are fine. See, I think he's done. I think he's absolutely toast this week. Um, I think. I think Michigan plays Penn State closer. I don't want to go with a lock because I don't want to call an upset or anything, but I think Michigan covers. Like, I am not buying into Penn State. Yeah. And I think their schedule has been so light, so easy. Michigan's been tougher. I know they have questions on at quarterback. I know they're littered with issues, penalties. I mean, it was an ugly game against Indiana. But I think it's a bounce-back game. I think Michigan goes uh, into Penn State and plays them tougher than people think. I'm not going to go out and call the upset. But I don't even know what the line is, but I would say they cover. How's that for a lock? Oh, that's, that's fan, what we're looking for. Is the for. fan base that hates you the most right now Penn State? Yeah, which is so crazy to me because I was literally the only person when we did the Selection Sunday show when the committee comes out with their top four and Penn State is left out, I was livid. I was saying Penn State oh, got yeah. screwed. They should have <laughs> been in. But fans are fickle, man. They don't remember that type of stuff. You know, they don't remember that I was carrying the torch for Penn State last year. They don't care about that. I will say this: if they beat Michigan and they beat them convincingly, I'll jump. I'll make them a pretty good stop. Like they literally, they haven't played anybody. Like yeah. the Iowa win was nice, but that's not a significant win to me. They go ahead and handle their business against Michigan. I'll give them a lot more respect. Danny was hot because Penn State didn't get in, and I was hot because it looked like y'all had Chick Fil A in the on a Sunday. <laughs> How'd you get Chick Fil A on a Sunday? Come on! Exactly. We got that type of pull. They had somebody go out and get it at midnight the night before. <laughs> yeah. uh, that line, by the way, is nine and a half, and I am with you. I think Michigan yeah. covers that one. Uh, he is Danny Cannell. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. Uh, thank you so much, Danny. We appreciate the time. You got it, man. Have a good one.